0: And so it begins. Another school year is upon us. Another season in our church year is upon us. Things are starting up again. And uh, we, we are going to now enter into a new sermon series together at First Hamilton. And it's going to be shaped around what, what is, why are we here what are, we, what are we doing as a church? What is, our, what is our vision? What's our mission here in the city and in the world? And so we're, we're starting that by looking at a passage in the Old Testament from the prophet Ezekiel. And uh, we're doing that because uh, our, our vision at First Hamilton is, t- is to be transformed by the gospel— and our city and world renewed in Christ. And so transformed by the gospel. And so that's, what, that's part one of what we're going to be looking at this morning. is transformed and renewed with an emphasis on what does transformation look like? And this passage in Ezekiel, we see transformation play out. We come to a story or the point in the biblical story where, you know, the prophets were called to uh, preach to Israel uh, a message of repentance, calling them back to faithfulness in God or else. Right, or, else, or else they'll be sent in exile, or else. And so we see this in Ezekiel 36, where, where Ezekiel's speaking the word of the Lord to the people and, and, and saying all of the things that God is going to do because of their sinfulness. But embedded in this is transformation. And it's important for us to see that this morning. And so through this prophet, we're going to see what is spiritual transformation, why do we need spiritual transformation, and how do we receive spiritual transformation. What is spiritual transformation, why do we we need it, and how do we receive it into our lives? So first, what is spiritual transformation? So before we talk about transformation, we need to separate those two words— because it's two English words that have been welded together and they so it's transformed. And so we have to talk about what is it what does it actually mean to be formed by something? How many of you have received a trophy for anything? A lot of us raise our hand, or a certificate, or a degree, or somebody who said to you, good job. Right? We love it when these things happen to us, and I was going to bring a trophy uh, for you here to show you, but I couldn't get the dust all off of it because I had kept it for that long, living in, in a storage bin in my basement. And I, because I, we love receiving these types of things, don't we? We love receiving compliments. We love receiving things like, like trophies and awards. And I wonder, you know, how many of you have something from years and years ago that's tucked away in some storage container that you don't quite know what it is, but you remember it and you want to keep it because every little while you look at it and you can remember the applause of the crowd that happened when you received this or something like that, right? We love this. Think about it. Why? A few years ago, uh, there was a famous actress who received an Academy Award. Her name is Sally Fields. I'm too young to know who that is, but um, maybe some of you do. And she said something really profound in her acceptance speech. And, and it's, uh, I, I heard somebody speaking about it recently, and, so, and I thought it would be a great thing for us to think about when we're talking about formation right, and uh, receiving uh, the, the, the validation and love from people. And she said this. She said to, to a crowd of people who, you know, if you get invited to the Academy Awards, you have to be very well known in the acting industry. And so she's speaking to peers, right? So she says to them, she says, I've wanted more than anything to have your respect. And standing here right now, on this stage, at this moment, I can't deny the fact that you like me. You like me. Thank you. And then she sat down. That's the feeling that we get when we receive an award or a degree or when we score a goal or when someone says, good job, or thank you. You like me. And, and deep down, because if, if somebody likes us, or if we're accepted by someone or something or a group of people, that means we're okay. That means we can live with ourselves. We need this kind of acceptance as human beings. We're actually designed for it. Uh, someone I was reading this week talked about uh, this. He said he said this. He said, we, we live from our hearts. We live from our hearts. The part of us that drives and organizes our lives is not the physical. So it's not the things that we do, the habits that we do. We, are, we, are, we are, live from our hearts. We are formed by what we love. This remains true, this man says, even if we deny it. You have a spirit in you that is being formed. Whether you like it or not, You have a spirit in you that is being formed. Take the acting example. Sally Fields, you know, is longing for that acceptance by the acting community. It drives her. It motivates her. How many athletes do we hear after, you know, receiving a gold medal? You know, how did you dedicate yourself? Well, I I heard in my head, you know, how wonderful it would be to to receive the gold medal. I played that back in my head as motivation. It's the acceptance. It's the validation. It drives us, and it shapes what we do. We are formed by what we love in our hearts. And we are being formed by a lot of things. So now we can talk about spiritual transformation. And we can thank a Hollywood uh, movie for giving us a perfect example of what spiritual transformation actually looks like. Has anybody seen the movie The Transformers? Right, it came, on, came onto the scene a little while ago. And uh, one of the scenes that's uh, in, the, in the start of the first movie is when this normal guy goes to a used parking lot and wants to buy his first car. And he has two options before him. He has a, Volks, like a seven, 1975 Volkswagen Beetle. And a 67 Camaro. And he buys this Camaro that looks like a piece of junk. But what? (laughs) What happens? It's not an ordinary Camaro, is it? Right? It gets transformed into this war machine. Spiritual transformation is like that. It's not natural. It goes against the way that we are naturally formed as human beings. And so what is that? And we see this in Ezekiel. So a few things on what spiritual transformation is. Listen to this. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So a few things. We're going to have to go through this pretty quickly. But first, spiritual transformation is a God-led process. God is the one who is doing all of the acting in this. Right? Eleven times God says he will. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you. I will cleanse you from all your impurities. I will take your heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh. I will. You know, the, the, this is something the Israelites could not do on their own. The cleanse, cleansing and being clean is a huge theme in, in the passage in Ezekiel that we just read. And the Israelites would know that they can't do that by themselves. Right? God, God gave them very specific laws, very specific ways that they would be able to live in relationship with him. He appointed priests that would be the mediators between God and the people. And they had to, the, he, his, his, his spirit could not dwell uh, necessarily with the people themselves. It, it was in, he lived in the temple. And there were specific um, sacrifices that they had to, to do to keep up their end of the covenant and the relationship with God in order for him to be able to dwell with his people. There's very specific things. But this, this prophecy is talking about a time when that will not be needed, when God's Spirit will dwell in the hearts of believers, of the Israelites. And this is a God-led process. No need for priests, no need for temple He's going to replace their heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Now, uh, have you ever tried to make meatballs with riverbed stones? Right? You can't work the meat into the, the meatballs to put, you know, put in the oven or where, wherever you put meatballs. <laughs> it takes, it takes the, the softness of muscle to be able to, to work it. And to reshape it. And that's what God is able to do when he replaces their their hearts. It's a God-led process. This is radical. Spiritual transformation is a radical, non-natural, God-led process inside the lives of each one of us. But it's not just a God-led process. It's an ongoing process. Um, You know, we can easily think of conversion accounts— like in the New Testament, with, with the, you know, for Paul, for example, where he's on the Damascus Road and he's God meets him, and there's a, there's a point where his life changes direction, and uh, and a lot of us don't necessarily have those moments. Some of us do, some of us don't. And but um, spiritual transformation is not just a single moment; it is an ongoing lifetime process. It's conversion and sanctification, right? Where, you know, a lot of us forget the fact that Paul, after he was converted, went to Antioch and for years had to relearn how to read the Bible, had to work out the gospel in his own heart. What does God's grace mean for me? Right? This is an ongoing process. It takes time Third thing about spiritual transformation is, is notice in this passage, in in verse 31, it it leads us into repentance. Then then after, after, you know, the the heart of stone is taken out, the, the heart of flesh is put in, God cleanses the Israelites, then you will remember your evil ways and your wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourself because of them. Right? It, when, when we are, when an when a, when a act of grace happens in our lives and we are transformed by the gospel, it brings up in us all of our inadequacies. This is the reason why every single Sunday we practice confession. Right? We, our sin is atoned for in Christ. It is, it is done. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. Right, But we practice this because it is it is an ongoing part of our spiritual lives as we are built up and strengthened as believers. New things come up in us, and, and God gives us confession as a way to, um, to, to to deal with our shame as he meets us with the forgiveness that comes through hearing the words of assurance every single Sunday. But we need to, to hear that. But Recognizing the fact that the spiritual transformation is is a God led process, it's an ongoing process, but it's always leading us further and further into the depths of our hearts that brings up all these things that leads us into repentance. We are people, Christians are people who are continually repenting. And lastly, it is personal and communal. Right? A heart is an individual thing. It t- spiritual transformation takes place in the lives of individual people. But we can't forget about the context of the nation of Israel. This prophecy is coming to Israel. And we, are, as God's people, through the new covenant of Jesus, are brought into that. And we are, uh, we are all God's people now. But this is a communal thing. And the scope of the uh, renewal of all things in the prophet takes on a, a, a wide, wide angle. Right? It talks about the whole world being a garden of Eden. And that includes uh, our community. So we are, and, and we have this in our vision, don't we? We are transformed by the gospel, but we join God in the renewal of all things as spiritual transformation takes place in the lives of other people. And they are moved to respond to God's grace. It's personal but it's also communal. Why do we need spiritual transformation? You know, some of us may look at this process and say, this is really painful. I don't like the sound of having to continually think about the bad things that I've done. I'd prefer to forget about that and just just move on. And this is where I think the prophets are really helpful for us in this. It's because the prophets tell us perfectly why we need spiritual transformation. Because prophets were people who uh, God appointed to call his people back into uh, obe- 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 obeying the covenant and telling them of what's going to happen if they forget about it. And what, hap- what happens when God appoints a prophet is it goes something like this. Um, it go- and not all prophets, but there are many that are like this. It says, God calls somebody and says, I need somebody to go, to go to the nation of Israel and tell them what's going to happen if they keep going down the road that they're going down. And uh, the prophet says, okay, send me. And he says, okay, but just know that you're going to devote your life to this. Uh, it's going to take up all your years, and uh, nobody's going to listen to you. You're going to be made fun of, and you're going to die. Okay, go. Because that's how dead in our sin we are. We don't hear, the, the Israelites did not hear and respond to even the prophets who were speaking the word of God to them. It can be so easy for us to say, you know, come on, Israelites, seriously, come on, like, just listen to God and obey the covenant. Right? Like, pick up your socks. Compete a little bit. try harder. But it doesn't work like that. They were trying. They were just like us. They needed something more. They needed spiritual transformation. And we do too. They needed a new heart. And we do too. See, because every every idol—and the Israelites were Uh, worshiping idols. That's that's the the main way that they disobeyed the covenant. They they adopted the idols of the neighboring nations and defiled the name of the Lord. And every idol is something other than God that we look to and we say, okay, if I have that, I'll be okay. If I get that, then I'll be significant. Sally Fields, the actress, right, needing the approval and the acceptance of the acting community, it, it became an idol to her. She needed it. That begs the question then, what would happen if she didn't get the Academy Award? What would happen if she didn't get the respect of those people that she longed for the respect for? Could she live without it? Or would she just devote more and more of her time, trying to get back to the pinnacle? See, because we all know that, and Sally Fields knows, that one Academy Award is not enough. See, because this, this one, that, the acceptance speech that she gave, this was actually her second Academy Award. The first one wasn't enough to know that people liked her. She needed to get another one. And what about another one? You know, we're, starting, we're embarking on a new year, and I'm sure that you know, the students that are with us uh, have great ambition for the school year, and that's wonderful. And as Brian said in his prayer, you know, learning is a wonderful thing. It's a God-given gift, but the degree isn't going to do it for you because one degree is not going to be enough to prove to yourself that you're smart and capable. The relentless pursuit of acceptance and knowing that we're okay is never ending. And it's been this way ever since Adam and Eve took that fruit and they ate it. And they said, we can do this without God. Unless we experience spiritual transformation that sets us free from this, no matter who you are, we need to be rescued from our own hearts of stone. We need a heart of flesh. We need God's spirit to be at work continually transforming us more and more into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. How do we receive this? How do we get this? What are the ten steps? What are the five pillars? Christianity doesn't give us steps. It doesn't give us a process gives us a person. A person. Jesus Christ was baptized, and the Spirit of God came upon him and sent him on his mission. He was filled with the Spirit of God and empowered to do his mission. And at his baptism, there was a voice from heaven that said to him the words that each one of us longs to hear, that is... This is my son whom I am well pleased. He had it. He had the acceptance, the validation, the love of the father. But his mission led him to the cross. And the cross was an empty and lonely place where he was defiled. He was despised, he was rejected. Even his own father that spoke those words to him, I love you, you are my son, in whom I am well pleased, forgot about him and turned his face away from him. The prophet Isaiah says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. And by his wounds we are healed. By his life, And death and resurrection, the the validation, the acceptance, the love of God that each one of us longs for and needs comes to us through Him. It's now ours because He took our place. He took our place. So now we can say that I belong belong not because I deserve it, but because Jesus Christ has bought it for me. He has purchased me from the tyranny of the devil. Today, we have in front of us a meal, a feast. that is a foretaste of the feast that will come to us in the renewal of all things. And it's a feast that we partake In the body and blood of Christ. We are nourished, each one of us, when we take, we eat, remember, and believe the words of Jesus at Jesus' baptism are said of us You are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Like Sally Fields, we can partake in this. Be nourished by Christ. And when we're, when we're taking this, this meal that He has given to us, we can say, I know I don't deserve it, but I can't deny the fact that you love me. You love me, and you will never let me go. Now, how do these words of affirmation, of acceptance, of love send us out? as changed people, as as we pray often in the prayer of thanksgiving after the supper that we're about to take, send us out as changed people because we have partaken in the living bread and cannot remain the same. We are free of looking for validation and acceptance and love in places other than God. We don't have to because we have full acceptance in Him. And this is what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, is how, through our spiritual transformation, how are we released as partners of God into our workplace? How are we released as partners of God onto university campuses? What are the the core values of spiritual transformation that begin to flow out of the life of a believer? that we're all about here at First Hamilton. What does that look like? When we're 15, when we're 30, when we're 90. We are sent out as changed people. Joining him in redeeming all things. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, we thank you for... Your work in our lives, in our world, that you have claimed us as your own, that you have transformed us, and that there is transformation through the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to embrace this, embrace Jesus, help us to be open to the Spirit rearranging the things in our lives. And Lord, give us the strength to live as changed people, released into the world that you are renewing. In Christ we pray. Amen.